What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. All right, Mr. News. For the last time in 2020, hit it! Next on the Ledger Report, a bombshell empirical investigation into election fraud. Do you hear me? Fraud. Stand by. The doors to the newsroom are locked and the PC police are not getting in, so sit back and relax as we unfold this edition of the Ledger Report. There was a time, a time before cable, when the local anchorman reigned supreme. And in San Diego, one anchorman was more man than the rest. His name was Graham Ledger. There's a vaccination hesitancy in many communities, especially black, Latino, Native American communities. Stop tape! This is from the office, so-called office of the (laughs) president-elect. A gentleman by the name of Joe Biden, you may have heard of him. He's exhibiting clear signs of Alzheimer's, early Alzheimer's, early dementia. I'm not a doctor, but I've done my homework. I worked with a person closely who exhibited all of these signs, short temper, memory loss, stammering. Eh, People want to blame that on his... uh, lifelong fight against a stutter, fine, you can write that one off, but you can't write off the fact that he's calling Kamala Harris the president-elect. Joe Biden, the presumptive, if you're a Democrat president-elect, is calling his running mate the presumptive vice president-elect, if you're a Democrat, Joe Biden is calling Kamala Kamala Homewrecker Harris the president-elect. And the media just wants you to say, uh, nothing to see there, no senility there, no problem there, no dementia, no tip, no tipping of the cards a little bit, possibly. You know, because the, the Democrat Party is probably saying, oh, no, there he goes again, blowing it. He's... He's showing the guy behind the curtain. Kamala Harris, meantime, Kamala, Kamala, homewrecker Harris is saying, oh, yeah, yeah, baby. But the rest of us, the rest of us, 74, 75 million, 100 million, 150 million, I don't know what the real number is, strong, are saying, hey, this is a problem. We can't let this go on. It's not, the problem isn't Joe Biden and his dementia. And allowing him into the Oval Office. The problem is the election malfeasance. And I'll get to that. This bombshell investigation by a very smart person named John Lott. Now, John Lott, you may know that name. He's been on my program many, many times. And he's usually on talking about protecting the Second Amendment and firearms. And the reality that the left 
uh, wants to hide about firearms and the Second Amendment. In fact, he's written a book. The title is something of the nature of more guns equals less crime. And that's the truth. Statistically speaking, he's a number cruncher. John Lott, in the end, is a number cruncher, but he's a fierce advocate for our Second Amendment rights. And yes, more guns equal less crime. More guns in the hands of good people equals less crime by bad guys. It's that simple. But the left, of course, doesn't want you to know that. But back to Joe. And, and by the way, Joe Biden and Kamala, Kamala Harris, as we know, has made no bones about it. If she becomes the 47th president of the United States, she's going to come after your guns and my guns. And as I like to say, along with my proud Second Amendment defending neighbors, you can have my guns when I run out of ammo. Okay? It's that simple. It's not a threat. It's a fact. You can have my guns when all of us who care about the Second Amendment run out of our ammo. It's exactly what the framers of the Constitution would have wanted. Why did the framers put the Second Amendment right next to the First Amendment? It's not necessarily saying, hey, which amendments are most important. Many would argue that the First Amendment is the most important amendment in the Bill of Rights. But why would they put the Second Amendment the right to keep and bear arms right next to the First Amendment. Have you ever thought about that? Why didn't they make it eight? Why didn't they make it fifth, fourth, seventh? Why did they make it right after the First Amendment? I'll tell you why. We have the right to defend ourselves with firearms, but the primary reason the framers of the Constitution gave us the Second Amendment is to keep a rogue government at bay. And so when an American citizen says to their government at any level, local, state, or federal, you can have my firearms when I run out of bullets, that is right in line with the reason the framers of the Constitution gave us 2A. It is to protect us from a government out of control, a government like a potential Biden administration, who now here is talking about, if you read between the lines here, he's talking about forcing people to take a vaccination, a vaccination against the Wuhan coronavirus. He's talking about forcing Americans to do something against their will. And if they don't, there's going to be hell to pay. Same thing with the mask mandate, right? He's coming out saying he wants Americans to wear a mask for the first 100 days of his administration. Anybody believe there's any science behind that? If there is science behind it, please tell me what it is. Because he would be sworn in ostensibly on January 20th, and 100 days later, miraculously, we're not going to be able to have to wear a mask. I mean, this is cockamamie. This is insulting to your intelligence. First 100 days. Mask compliance, is it's hard to measure exactly in this country. It's far too high for my taste, but it's somewhere between 50% and 80%. Let's go in the middle there, shall we? Say it's around 65%. That's a huge compliance rate. That means there's 65% of Americans are either scared or lemmings. And they haven't done the homework that I've done. I will refuse, I will, I will go to the grave refusing to wear a mask. Now, there are a couple of places 
that I uh, want to go that don't even let you use a face shield. And, and uh, I will wear a face shield because all it is is glasses to me. I'm putting on some plastic glasses. I'm not wearing a mask. But I'm also walking into places now with a face shield in hand or in tow uh, with no mask at all. And just seeing. You know, some people are like, ooh, he's infectious. He's not complying. Ah! Right? The movie, uh, what was it? Uh, the, the, pod, the pod movie? I always forget it. With Donald Sutherland. Ah! You know, the Karens out there. I was at the gym. Outside gym. Now, mind you, in the, in the damn parking lot, right? And the guy, old guy next to me is, put your mask on. And I looked at and I, I just tried to ignore him, and he wouldn't, he wouldn't let go of my leg. He was like a dog at my leg. And I, I finally said to him, I just laid into him. I laid into him with the facts and the truth about a mask and how they're worthless. There's now reams of empirical data on that. Masks are worthless. I started with a piece of empirical data that exists on the CDC website uh, produced in 2018. Studying whether masks, including N95s, do anything to mitigate the spread of a virus. Their conclusion, not mine, no! Yet, we're being told by all these geniuses, wear a mask, including this guy. Roll tape. We've not always been treated with the dignity and honesty they deserve by the federal government. And the scientific Stop the tape. <laughs> what is he babbling about? Who hasn't been treated well by the federal government? People with their hands out? People in the inner cities who are getting welfare? These under, underserved, underprivileged? Does anybody believe in this country, in this day and age, in 2020, that certain sectors of society are being repealed? repressed systemically that there is systemic racism out there if there is point it out to me where is the systemic racism i watch network television and you watch network television i've said this before if you drop down from a, a another planet and you were to study america based on network television and the commercials just the commercials you would think this is a majority black country have you looked at the commercials lately you would think this is a majority black country and that white people are stupid. McDonald's commercials, car commercials, airline commercials, all these feel-good hospital medical commercials. Wear a mask. Don't wear a mask. We're all in this together. We're not all in this together. You would think we're a majority black country given what these producers are doing, jumping through hoops to put infused black people into all these commercials. Underprivileged, underserved? I don't think so. We have this crazy thing called choice in this country. Roll tape. Community throughout our history. That's why we will launch a massive public edu education campaign to increase vaccine acceptance. Stop tape. So, what the so called the office of the president elect is saying is that they're going to force Americans to take the vaccine. You want to do that? Do you, do you agree with being forced to take a vaccine? I just want to know. Do you agree with that? I, for one, am not going to take a vaccine, the Wuhan coronavirus vaccine. 
And I bounced it off my physician. I asked him, I said, would you take this first iteration of the Wuhan coronavirus vaccine? He said, hell no. Okay, that's not the only reason. I just wanted his opinion, but I'm, I'm with him. I'm not an anti-vaxxer. My daughter was vaccinated. I've been vaccinated. I'm still here. But it is a choice. And if these airlines or movie theaters, I think movie theaters are probably extinct now, unfortunately. Uh, restaurants, uh, any of these places where people frequent concerts, ball games. If they're going to start requiring some sort of proof of vaccination, it's over, folks. It's over. The American experiment is officially over. We're teetering right now. The United States of America, this republic, could be past the point of no return in terms of liberty and the Constitution. But if it comes down to that, then they will have won. Not the, the vaccination crowd. I'm talking about the anti-constitutional radicals in the Democrat Party the people who want to destroy the United States Constitution, they will have won. So the vaccination and and what he's talking about is an offshoot of what this election cycle in 2020 was all about. Do you want liberty or do you want tyranny? And we have seen tyranny manifest itself in these various so-called swing states of Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan, and Arizona, and Nevada. And a very smart guy, I mentioned him before, John Lott, did a, an investigation, statistically speaking. He just looked at the numbers. That's who he is. He's a numbers guy. He crunched the numbers. And he looked at 2016's numbers, in, in particular Georgia and in Pennsylvania, and then he compared them to 2020. In terms of the the uniformity. He's looking for some sort of statistical uniformity. That's what number people do, right? There are variations. You know, people vote one way in an election and then another way in the next election. That's understood. But there shouldn't be wild swings in these numbers. But that's exactly what has occurred in these so-called swing states. And I want to dive a little bit into this piece of research, this piece investigation, not with John Lott, but with one of John Lott's peers. Joining me now is the Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Miami, Louis Lokai. Uh, Louis, I want to talk about this research produced by John Lott, um, who can't come on the program because he is part of the administration, part of the Department of Justice right now, and so he has to jump through hoops in order to get on, but uh, you're his surrogate, if you will. And he produced this bombshell, I call it a bombshell piece of research, really a piece of mathematics. And that's why uh, you're speaking in his uh, abstentia. And the piece is titled, A Simple Test for the Extent of Vote Fraud with Absentee Ballots in the 2020 Presidential Election, Georgia and Pennsylvania Data. Now, let's stop there before I dive into it. Um, this is about 25 pages long. Um, I, I would imagine you're part of the peer review process. Is that correct? Well, um, he hasn't. I haven't peer reviewed it officially, but I have. I am familiar with his uh, with his work. I've read these pap- this paper and I've uh, um, drawn up some comments. I haven't given them to him yet, but I've got some comments on on on, on that work. So I have thought about it, you know, very carefully. In other words, I would be ready right now to give a peer review of his. Uh, 
of, of that of that article. Yes. And before I dive into uh, the summary, and we're just going to scratch into the summary uh, right. because it pretty well uh, sums up what the research is all about. Um, if you had to summarize your uh, peer review of this, I don't want to put you on the spot, but if you had to summarize uh, what you're looking at and what you read and how you decipher it, uh, what is your summary of the report? Um, well, my summary would, the report would be that it's, uh, it's, a, you know, it's an interesting and I think uh, um, fairly convincing uh, uh, piece of work. Uh, what he's doing essentially is he's looking at, uh, at precincts that are adjoining and he's looking at mostly well, the best example is, is Fulton County where uh, Atlanta is located. And he looks at counties that are majority Republican around it. And by looking at precincts that are adjacent to each other, um, he's looking at uh, precincts that are, you know, tend to be similar in most ways that matter for voting. Furthermore, he, he has uh, data or he compares uh, the two, uh, the two adjoining precincts in terms of the difference in their in-person voting. So the argument is that two adjoining precincts, their differences in the, in the uh, absentee ballots should be similar to the differences in their in-person ballot and voting. And he checks this for 2016, and he finds that that's in fact the case. However, in other, words, in other words, there should be uniformity here. There should be yeah, it should be similar. Yes, yes. Be similar in other words, uniformity. If, if two adjacent precincts, if in two adjacent precincts, uh, the difference in in the share of of Trump's vote is five percent, then the difference in the absentee ballot should be about five percent. And he does that for 2016, and he finds that that's in fact the case. Then he turns to 2020, and he finds that when you look at precincts where one adjacent precincts where one of them happens to be in Fulton County, that relationship breaks down. All of a sudden, Fulton County precincts seem to get a bump in the Biden vote. All right, let's, let's stop there for a moment uh, and, and, and look at uh, what he says about uh, what's happening or what happened in Atlanta. Um, and these are estimates, you know, based on empirical evidence. These are based on he's a number cruncher. And that's effectively what he's doing. You're a professor of economics. You have yeah. to crunch uh, numbers. I want to cut to the heart of this thing. The best estimate shows an unusual 7.81 percent drop in Trump's percentage of absentee ballots for Fulton County alone of 11,350 votes or over 80 percent of Biden's vote lead in Georgia. So in other words, he's looking at this one way and then he's trying to put it in tangible terms in another. Exactly. What it did to the numbers on election night or the couple of days after election, it literally right. turned the numbers. And we know that Atlanta and, and that county, Fulton County, um, is the epicenter for the election malfeasance that there is reams of evidence, including videotape evidence, um, occurred there. But from a statistician's perspective, from a professor of economics perspective, this is a, a red flag, is it not? Because you do look for uniformity in, in numbers. It, 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 it is a red flag. It's, it's, it suggests that something happened there that we can't explain that's unusual. But furthermore, um, I believe that for technical reasons that we really can't get into here, that actually ends up being an underestimate. 
Uh, in other words, there's another part of his own estimates that suggest that it's actually bigger than that. So I would think that is a significant lower bound. And yes, uh, because not only is the it's, that, it's not only that the, the Fulton County seems to have given more more votes to Biden, but the relationship between the in-person voting and the and the mail-in voting tended to break down, which also suggests that something went went funny there. You see, right. in other words. The connection that was close in 2016 is no longer close now. So he, he did the uh, same approach, crunched the same numbers um, in Allegheny County, which is in Pennsylvania. Again, that's uh, where Pittsburgh of, is, I believe. Right. One of the yeah. epicenters of election malfeasance that took place in 2020. He did it for both absentee and provisional ballots. And this right. is particularly interesting in Pennsylvania because of what we know now. And I'll get to that in a moment. He says, quote, the estimated number of fraudulent votes from those two sources is about 55,270 votes. Now, remember, you know, the margins of victory uh, in in these states, Georgia and Pennsylvania, and uh, I believe in um, Wisconsin as well, Michigan, were were very, very narrow. And when you start piecing this together, and I'm not asking you to, to have conjecture here, I'll do the conjecturing here. But when you start piecing this together and, and, you know, if you stop counting ballots and if you were trying to cheat in an election, you stop counting ballots, you stop the machine so you could figure out exactly how many fraudulent votes you need to produce to put your guy over the top. This would fit in very, very nicely. But back to the evidence, um, he, he ran the same kind of empirical data in Pittsburgh, again, a swing state, again, Uh, epicenter for a lot of the malfeasance that went on. One would imagine if you're a statistician or an economics professor like yourself, if you start digging and peeling back the the onion in these in these various counties in these various cities like Detroit, possibly, uh, or uh, in Milwaukee or in Phoenix, that you might see similar patterns here. Is that a leap? Yeah, I think so. And, and what's more, I think, you know, by the way, John's very good at also at when he finds one of these anomalies, he starts looking for other explanations, too, you see. Yeah. So he does look in that paper. He looks at other things. You know, do we, do we find that maybe, you know, we can explain this in some other way? And he tries to look for that. And he doesn't find that that explains it either. And so uh, and the more you look at the, these things, you, the more anomalies you tend to find. Also, remember that um, and John points this out in the paper that all this that he's finding is always relative to whatever vote fraud already took place in the in-person voting. Because this is, this is relative to the in-person voting. So if there's already, already sort of a background amount of, of, of cheating going on elsewhere, uh, it's not going to be picked up by this. Right. And, 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 and so, so, so this is, and for this reason and for my technical reasons, I believe that what he's finding is actually in, in both Allegheny County and Fulton County, what he's finding is, is, a, is definitely an underestimate of what the effect was. And, and what this uh, leads to is excess votes, uh, which are uh, impossible, right? As, as a mathematician, a statistician, it's impossible for you to have more votes than there are eligible voters. Yet in Pennsylvania... Well, apparently, for- apparently, that's I, I'm not a political scientist, so I can't really comment on that too much. The problem is that the uh, apparently um, definitions of, of eligible voters have varied vary over time and over different sources. Sometimes, sometimes people refer to registered voters. Sometimes people refer to people of a certain age. And a lot of these states have problems with, um, uh, with they have 
same day registration yes uh and things like that so you know they can always they can always fill in the gap by saying people just registered that day and so forth but um he does look john does look at um at, at anomalies in the voter turnout in in that paper and he also finds that in some of these contested places where the data is available we find anomalous results on voter turnout Right. And Which so he's also again, peculiar, another peculiar pattern. Exactly. And so he, he concludes with a summary here. The estimates here indicate that there were 70,000 to 79,000, quote, excess votes in Georgia and Pennsylvania alone, adding statistically speaking here now, yeah. he's, he's, he's projecting to the other states, right. adding Arizona, Michigan, Nevada, and Wisconsin, the total increases to 289,000, quote, excess votes. Now, again, you pointed out, and I'm going to point out again, this is probably a lowball estimate, but I will it tell is. you again, as yeah. a statistician, I'm going to hit you with one more that I know to be true, that the state of Pennsylvania mailed out 1.8 million, quote, absentee ballots. They received 1.4 million absentee ballots back, yet they counted 2.5 million absentee okay. ballots. Yeah. Now, on the prima facie, on that, yeah, that looked like, yeah, it looked- yeah, I'm not a professor. I went to a state university for crying out yeah. loud, but I can do the math there and it don't add up. Of course, of course, of course. You have to be, you have to use common sense on these things. Right. So if those if those numbers are actually true, I cannot verify them because I'm not familiar with them. But if that's the case, then, of course, that's, you know, on clear evidence that something some shenanigans went on. But the kinds of things that John is doing is sort of equivalent to the following. Suppose you um, I don't know, you uh you uh, you you play cards uh, or you play some sort of uh, random game like you know uh, like flipping a coin with someone, and the part and the person wins nine out of ten times. Um, does that mean he's cheating? Well, it's possible, right? But you'd be pretty suspicious if you find that the guy always wins, you know, nine out of ten times. You would want to examine that coin carefully to see whether you know, he can make heads or whatever it is appear more, more likely. I'm sending that guy straight to Vegas. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Out of 10 times. Right. Well, they'll probably throw him out of the clubs right away. Right. I mean, uh, <laughs> so that, that's Number. what, it, you know, and that's what, and, and by the way, beyond John's paper, there's just been a whole bunch of other um, uh, approaches, which are less, less specific and, and less quantifiable than his yeah. that are looking for anomalies in the, in the voting patterns. And um, it's just remarkable. The number of these, all these, um, uh, you know, none of these are, are peer reviewed yet or anything like that, as careful as John's. But what you do find in all these is they all point in the same direction. And they're all very different types of pattern recognitions type of, of results. Right. Well, I always like to say figures lie and liars figure. But but in the end, the numbers, uh, as long as they're not being doctored, the numbers always speak for themselves. And, and yeah. we deserve the American people deserve to know the truth. And have, I believe, a congressional investigation. I don't know why there hasn't been a blue ribbon commission set up by Mitch McConnell in the Senate yet. Um, I don't understand exactly why. Uh, And the courts are um, not doing a wonderful job investigating. The DOJ doesn't seem to be uh, interested. So where do the American people get relief? Well, they get relief from people like you and, and John Lott. And Louis Lokai, I appreciate you joining me, Associate Professor of Economics at the University of Miami. Uh, Keep up the good work and we'll be in touch. Thank you. Thank you.
So it's another bombshell report. There have been multiple investigations. Peter Navarro in the White House did his own investigation. Another bombshell ignored by the media. Oh, the source is tainted. The source is biased. No, the numbers are the numbers. And that's what John Lott is focusing on. What a way to end 2020 on massive evidence of voter and election fraud, voter and election malfeasance, cheating, outright cheating going on, yet it's being ignored by the so-called gatekeepers of the First Amendment. What a way to end 2020. And if you look at 2020 in the rearview mirror, I want to talk about a couple of highlights But I want to do it through the eyeballs of the President of the United States. If you remember, on January 3rd, 2020, that was a big day. That was when Qasem Soleimani was taken out. And the media virtually ignored it. Didn't think it was that big a deal. Here's a guy, he's the henchman for the Ayatollah Khomeini, for the radicals in Iran, personally responsible for hundreds, if not thousands, of dead Americans, tens of thousands if not hundreds of thousands, of dead, innocent people in Iran and outside Iran. He's a murderer, taken out. Remember when Barack Obama happened to be president of the United States when we got um, Osama bin Laden? How the media fawned all, oh, it's great, it's going to propel him to to his next term, and maybe it did. I don't know, but they were all over, and the media ignored Donald Trump. January 9th, The World Health Organization proclaims the corona pneumonia uh, out of Wuhan, China. Now, it's interesting that back then, on January 9, they framed it as the corona pneumonia. Because if you look at the CDC website and you look at the death tally that they have, the, the most common combination with Wuhan is pneumonia. So are people dying from Wuhan or are they dying from pneumonia? You know, this poor congressman who just died out of Louisiana. I had to dig and dig and dig, and then I found out he died of a heart attack. Yeah, I'm not a doctor. I didn't do an autopsy, but he died of a heart attack. Did he die of the Wuhan? Yeah, he was in the hospital for the Wuhan coronavirus, but he died of a heart attack. January 16, how, how soon we forget This was the day the impeachment trial started in the United States Senate. And uh, I I want you to think in Donald Trump terms, how this man was attacked and how impeachment in 2020 seemed like the pinnacle of the attack, right? You had Mueller, you had Comey, you had these ruthless attacks from the media and ruthless attacks from Schumer and Pelosi on down. Daily, daily occurrences. And, and so the impeachment trial on January 16th starts. And I'll never forget, for me, I think it was sticks in my mind more than anything else about the trial in the Senate, is Mitt Romney, the only senator in the history of the United States who voted in favor of impeachment proceeding against a president of his own party. Is that... How Mitt Romney really wants to go down in history? Well, that's how he's going to go down in history. And that's why I never, ever am going to trust Mitt Romney. And if I could withdraw my vote in 2012 retroactively, um, I would. But it's, it's too late. We got suckered in. At January 21, 
was the first official case reported in the United States of the Wuhan coronavirus. And about five days later, the uh, White House formed the COVID task force. Now, remember, that was five days after the first case. Five days. And you have Joe Biden running around the mainstream media saying that the president didn't do anything. Five days after the first case, bam, it's the White House Coronavirus Task Force. And Dr. Fauci, who should have been fired. Why the president hasn't fired him, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I really don't know. Um, it's a mystery to me. Um, February 5th, the Senate acquits the president on the impeachment charges. But think back to the so-called trial in the House of Representatives, they had nothing. There was absolutely nothing. There was a phone call between two heads of state, and one head of state says, hey, you had some malfeasance going on in your country. You may want to look into it. Yeah, it involved Joe Biden. Hell yeah. So what? So what? Joe Biden's an American citizen. Whoop-de-doo. And now we have a, a, a videotape that I, I can't even wrap my head around. This news conference that lasted about an hour uh, earlier this week out of the Ukraine, linking all of this money directly to Joe Biden. Yeah, sure, it was laundered through Burisma and Hunter Biden, but they're saying, hey, Joe Biden got millions and millions of dollars. And the mainstream media... Well, let's do a year in review. Let's interview Dr. Fauci. Let's not pay attention to that over there. Let's let's proclaim a man of the year. Hospital workers who are out there dancing around. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, you hospital workers. That's it. No more. I am tired of seeing you people dance around in your smocks, your gowns, and your masks. That's it. No more respect. You people have lost our respect, claiming that you're being worked to the bone, but you got time to shoot these videos. Forget it. It's over. February 20th, the Dow crashes, and it crashed again in March. It was down uh, almost 3,000 points. At that time, I was telling you, buy, 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 buy. B-U-Y, buy. Not buy, buy, buy. B-U-Y, buy. This is your opportunity. As the... uh, As Warren Buffett likes to say, be fearful when others are greedy, be greedy when others are fearful. And so people were fearful, time to be greedy. And of course, yours truly was 100% dead on there. March 11th was a devastating day, right around that time anyway. This is when the NBA suspended its season. Now, that told me we're in trouble. That told me as a society, we have no guts, we have no backbone, and this was going to be a house of cards, and indeed it was, and the entire house fell down. And it wasn't because of the NBA, but the NBA was a leading indicator of what was to come. And I remember the blood just draining out of my face watching it happen, and the uh, Major League Baseball was right behind the NBA. March 13, Trump um, declared a national emergency over the COVID, all right? So remember, he didn't do anything, right? Task Force, National Emergency on uh, March 13th. And by March 27, he signed a $2 trillion so-called stimulus. Now, I'm not into these rescue packages. I'm into this thing called liberty. I don't think there should be any stimulus. There should be, there should be the American people rising up 
initially back in March and April saying, you can't shut us down. Screw you. Unfortunately, it didn't happen. Fear is a powerful thing. And people have capitulated the fear. There's still people living in fear right now, even though all the data points to a a 98% survival rate from the Wuhan coronavirus. And all the data points to the masks not working. All the data pointing to the lockdowns not working, actually having a detrimental effect. And the same thing for masks, by the way. There are still people out there living in fear. April 3rd, the CDC recommends that Americans wear a face mask. (laughs) Yet, as I pointed out on their website, two years earlier, they're saying, hey, masks don't work. Masks don't work, ladies and gentlemen. Masks do the opposite. They become what the scientists call loaded with germs, bacteria. Not only that, it's clearly you're not getting enough oxygen when you wear a mask. Uh, And clearly your CO2 levels are up. You get your blood tested while you've been wearing a mask for a couple hours. Guess what your CO2 levels are going to be in your blood? Take a wild guess. It's insanity. April 6, 22 million Americans on unemployment. What do you expect when you shut down a society? Donald Trump didn't shut down this society. These blue state governors led the way and, and less than backboned red state governors followed. And then some, like DeSantis and Abbott a little bit, realized, hey, you know what? This is stupid. We're opening up. So Texas is mildly open and Florida is, is wide open. And, and by the way, their cases are lower than California, which is completely shut down. Can you explain that one to me? Oh, Topography. Uh, uh, it has to do with the climate. <laughs> oh, come on. Come on. Please. It has to do with this crazy thing called liberty. And I happen to believe in liberty. May 28th, the COVID death toll in the U.S. hits 100,000. Globally, a month later, it hits 500,000. Now, I want to remind you of something. And by the way, if we fast forward to September 28th, the global death toll hits a million. Um... As far as pandemics are concerned, that's a pretty weak pandemic. I'm sorry. That's a very weak pandemic. Remember, so you're talking about a million dead globally, right? 150,000 people die in the, in the, on, the, on the planet Earth every day. 150,000. Do you know how many people die every day in the United States? 5,000. We know that the numbers are not up globally. Deaths, the death rate is not up. People aren't dropping like flies all over the world. And we know that the death rate is not significantly up. In some cases, I've seen in certain states like California, the death rate is actually down in 2020. Yet we have this global response led by the United States, led by the Democrats. August, historic peace deal between Israel and UAA, and then there would be two more after that, completely ignored by the media. This is unbelievable that Israel is signing these peace accords with some folks who, who want to destroy them. Hopefully not anymore. I, and it's not just symbolic. These people want to work together so that what happened in Syria and the terrorist takeover of Syria and Iraq doesn't happen again. They want to actually work together. It's, it's amazing that he was able to do this, but he did. September 26th. The nomination of Amy Coney Barrett. Now, I'm already disappointed. I'm disappointed with all three of his appointees to the Supreme Court. Comey Barrett 
and and Kavanaugh and Gorsuch, all three of whom rejected the Texas lawsuit. I don't care if they thought it was weak. I don't care if these legal experts said it was a weak case. I don't care whether the Supreme Court said that Texas didn't have standing. That's a bunch of malarkey. Texas, of course, has standing because Texas residents voted and their votes were negated by the fake ones in Georgia and Pennsylvania and Wisconsin and Michigan and Arizona and Nevada and elsewhere. Of course they have standing, Amy. October. The president of the United States tests positive for the Wuhan coronavirus. And at that time, I remember telling you that God has a plan for this president. And within a week, he was out of the hospital and raring to go and ready to debate Joe bite me. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You knew what the mainstream media were cheering. Oh, wow. Maybe he'll be taken out. We don't have to worry about it. Maybe he'll die. They weren't saying it, but they were thinking it, right? Everybody in the media and the mainstream media and the Democrat Party were hoping that Donald Trump would die from the Wuhan coronavirus. Why don't we admit it? But God had a plan. God had a plan for this president, and he recovered, and he performed very well, uh, I thought, at the next debate. Very, very well at the next debate. November 3rd, of course, we know what that was. Ostensibly Election Day, but of course we had Election Month before that. Virtually the entire month of October, states were allowing their residents to vote. And then after the election, states like California were counting 17 days. (laughs) I'm not kidding you. All the way to November 20th, California was counting votes. It's crazy. It's crazy. And it's clearly a glaring problem that needs to be fixed. December 1, Attorney General William Barr says there's no evidence of widespread voter fraud. I had a lot of respect for Bill Barr, and I, I still have a modicum of respect, but it's insulting to me and insulting to you For a smart guy like that who's in charge of the Department of Justice to say there's no evidence of widespread fraud when I just showed you one of probably hundreds of investigations that have showed widespread voter fraud. And it's this bombshell report from from John Lott. When you step back and you look at the arrows that Donald Trump took in 2020, mostly from the media, mostly from the Democrat Party, one from the Wuhan coronavirus. Uh, it is unbelievable to witness a politician, and we know Donald Trump isn't really a pure politician, but he's an elected official, to be attacked the way this man has been attacked and the way his family has been attacked. No elected official, no president in the history of this republic has suffered the attacks that Donald Trump has, attacked, has, has suffered through. Yet there he is, still there, fighting for us, fighting for the American people. And this is part of God's plan. What will happen on January 6th and beyond? I believe that January 6th is going to drag into January 7th and possibly 8th, maybe beyond. Uh, I do not know. Um, but I do know that we owe Donald Trump uh, a debt of gratitude and a huge thank you uh, on behalf of the American people because Donald Trump is a proxy for us. The 
Democrat Party mainstream media cabal wants to destroy Donald Trump. Therefore, they want to destroy you. If they attack Donald Trump, they're attacking you. If they attack the United States Constitution, which is what they do ruthlessly on a daily basis, they're attacking you. If they say they don't like America, they don't respect America, that means they don't like and respect you. I want you to remember that. And I want you to remember the truth. That yes, there was election malfeasance, massive election and voter fraud in in 2020. And that Donald Trump is the proxy attack on your franchise. And if you would like to look at this bombshell report yourself... You know, these people are scientists, so they don't put it on an easy website. Uh, John Lott put it on Social Science Research Network. Social Science Research Network. And then to make it even more complicated, you have to search John Lott. But that's a relatively easy name. L-O-T-T, John Lott. And then this bombshell report, a simple test for the extent of vote fraud with absentee ballots in the 2020 presidential election, Georgia and Pennsylvania data will come up. Um, and if you'd like more information on me and, and what I do in my effort to try and fix the republic through Article 5 and fix California in particular, because as California goes, so goes the rest of the country, and to recall Gavin Newsom, recall Gavin2020.com, go to GrahamLedger.com. GrahamLedger.com. You can also sign up for the podcast and please in the new year in 2021 share these podcasts and and grow this podcast i'm still out there i'm still poking around the the other platforms we'll see what happens in 2021 in the meantime let's get the word out through the ledger report podcast because no one else in the media is going to report what i report including this piece of research this Investigation by John Lott, the bombshell imperial empirical investigation. It is an empirical investigation. It's a bombshell empirical investigation into election and voter fraud that the mainstream media will not report. This edition of the Ledger Report is on its way to the archives of the Library of Congress. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. And remember, even when I'm wrong, I'm right.